morning. It is really good to be here with you this morning. I want to start out by giving you a Project 6K update. Project 6K is our Bible reading challenge. We have challenged ourselves to read 6,000 books of the Bible as a congregation in 2016. And so far to date, we've read 2,625 books of the Bible. Uh, We are almost three months into it, and we're almost halfway to our goal, so things are going great. Um, I really want to encourage you to continue with your reading, encourage to be immersed in the Bible. I know a lot of you have already read through the Bible at least once this year. I want to encourage you not to stop. Keep going. Continue to read. Continue to be immersed in the Word because we're already seeing changes in our lives and we're seeing changes in our congregation because God's Word is powerful. Let's pray together. Father, it is good to be here this morning. Father, it is good to, to be able to, to gather with our brothers and sisters, to gather in your presence, to approach your throne, to know, Father, that you are you're alive and you're active and you're listening to our prayers. And, Father, we are glad to be able to affirm that Jesus Christ is alive and he's active and he's living in us. And, Father, our prayer is that through our lives... We will show others that Jesus is alive and active and working in us so they too can come to know Jesus. So they too can affirm that he is risen. And Father, we pray this through his name, Jesus, who is the risen Christ. Amen. Well, isn't it wonderful to be together here on this day, to be together on Easter Sunday? Isn't it wonderful to know that Christians all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? If you were here last week, you'll know that we made sure that we didn't spend all of our time looking forward to this day, to Resurrection Day. We made sure that we didn't lose sight of the cross as we looked forward to Easter. We made sure that we didn't look past the cross. And we reminded ourselves that we can't embrace the resurrection of Jesus Christ without first embracing the cross where he died. And last week we reminded ourselves that the power and the wisdom of the cross must be looked at through the lens of God's love. God's love for us. What did Jesus say about God's love for us? We love this scripture, John three sixteen, where Jesus said, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We reminded ourselves that it was God's love that brought Jesus to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. And at the cross, Jesus was punished so that we could be forgiven. And at the cross, Jesus was wounded so that we could be healed. And at the cross, Jesus died so that we could live. We could live for eternity with Jesus. And we reminded ourselves that we have to embrace the sorrow and we have to embrace the pain. We have to embrace the anguish of the cross before we can embrace and celebrate the unspeakable joy of the resurrection. So this morning, let's go back to the cross. Let's go back to the cross before we make our way to the empty tomb. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in the 15th and the 16th chapters of Mark. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find a Bible in the rack in front of you. 
Mark 15. And as we pick up the story in Mark 15, we need to know that Jesus has been arrested. We need to know that he has faced the accusations of the high priest and the chief priest and the Jewish elders and the teachers of the law. We need to know that he's been questioned by Pilate. We need to know that he's been flogged. We, know, we need to know that he's been mocked by the soldiers. And we need to know that he's been nailed to a cross. He's been nailed to the cross to die. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 15 of Mark and verse 33. Mark records it this way. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And that means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And one man ran and he filled a sponge with wine vinegar. He put it on a stick and he offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. But with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. There were some women who were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. And in Galilee, these women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. And many other women had come up with Jesus to Jerusalem, and they were also there. Verse 42, it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave Jesus' body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth. He took down Jesus' body. He wrapped it in the linen and he placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And that's the way Friday ended. And none of Jesus' followers would have called it a good Friday. It was a devastating Friday. It was a heartbreaking Friday. It was a confusing Friday. It was a Friday they never saw coming. And it was a Friday that left them not knowing where to turn. And it left them not knowing what to do. And Mark, as he continues in his gospel, Mark asks us, he asks his readers to place our feet in the sandals of three Women, these three women, Mary and Mary and Salome. He asked us to place our feet in the sandals of three devastated women. Place our feet in the sandals of three heartbroken women. Place our feet in the sandals of three confused women. 
See, Mark invites us to leave the cross and to go to Jesus' tomb and see the stone rolled in place and then go home for the Sabbath. And then, and then on Sunday morning, he invites us to follow Mary and Mary and Salome as they walk back to Jesus' tomb. As we follow these ladies back to Jesus' tomb, it isn't hard for us to imagine what they must be experiencing. Most of us have been there. We know how difficult it is to lose someone you love. We know how difficult it is to lose someone that you depended on. How difficult it is to lose someone who depended on you. Especially when that loss is sudden. Especially when that loss is unexpected. Especially when that loss is painful and that loss is violent. So as we follow these women to the tomb, we know that they're numb with grief. We know that they're emotionally exhausted. We know that they can't begin to digest what has just happened. We know that they can't fully process that here they are now. Here they are now walking on a path on a Sunday morning. And they're on their way to Jesus' tomb. And they're going there to perform their final act of service for Jesus. And they're going there to say their final goodbyes to Jesus. And it wasn't supposed to be this way. It was just a week ago that Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem to shouts of great joy. Everything was filled with such promise. And the future looked so certain, so sure. Surely this Jesus who they followed and served was the one. Surely this Jesus was Messiah. But now they find themselves on a very different Sunday. Now, unbelievably, shockingly, the story of Jesus seems to be over. They were so sure that they were following the one. That they were following and serving the Messiah. But now it doesn't seem true in fact, now it doesn't even seem possible. It doesn't even seem possible because messiahs aren't arrested without a fight. Messiahs aren't tried without a defense. Messiahs aren't tortured without protest. Messiahs aren't executed without intervention. And messiahs certainly don't need embalming. And that's what these women are on their way to do. They're going to finish their service by taking oil and taking spices and embalm the body of Jesus. So we have an idea what they were feeling. And we know what they were on their way to do. And there was no way that they could have possibly been prepared for what they were about to see. No way that they could have been prepared for what they were about to hear. Mark 16 verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb. And they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. 
Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. No, they couldn't have been prepared. They were numb with grief. They were emotionally exhausted. They were even worried about who was going to roll away the stone. But the stone had already been rolled away. They had tried to prepare themselves to face Jesus' broken and lifeless body. But when they got there, there was no body. The tomb was empty. They were prepared for a solemn, for a, a sad, for a solitary task, embalming the body of Jesus. But they found that they weren't alone. A young man in white is there. A walking, talking, angelic being is there. And now on top of their grief, on top of their numbness, on top of their exhaustion, now you can add they are alarmed. They're shocked. They weren't prepared. They couldn't have been prepared. And what the man in the tomb has to say is no less shocking than the fact that the body is not there. The fact that the tomb is empty. Because the man says, he is risen. He doesn't say he's been moved. He doesn't say he's been stolen. He says, he is risen. He is risen and he's on his way to Galilee. He has risen, so hurry and tell the others that Jesus will meet them there. They couldn't have been prepared. They weren't prepared. It was all too much. And so Mark tells us in verse 8 that trembling and bewildered, the women went out and they fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Trembling and bewildered, they fled and said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I like the use of the word bewildered here. See, it means that Mary and Mary and Salome were completely puzzled. It means that they were totally confused. It means that these events and these words caused them to completely lose their bearings. They're no longer sure what is what. They're no longer sure who is who. We know that grief will do that to you. We know that exhaustion will do that to you. And certainly empty tombs will do that to you. So trembling and bewildered, they fled the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's how Mark chooses to end his gospel That's how Mark chooses to end his telling of the good news of Jesus Christ. Chooses to end his telling with three trembling and bewildered women fleeing Jesus' empty tomb. Now I know most of your Bibles have 12 more verses in them after verse 8. And I also know that most of your Bibles also have a statement about those 12 verses that says something like this. Something like the earliest and most reliable transcripts and manuscripts do not contain Mark 16, 9 through 20. 
You'll probably all be relieved to know I'm not going to take the time to walk us through why those verses and why that statement are in our Bibles. I'm not going to do that. But let me assure you of this. You can be very confident that when Mark wrote his gospel, he ended it with verse 8. And you can also be very confident that he intended to end his gospel with these sentences. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And you know, for centuries, people have been bothered by Mark's ending. They've been bewildered by Mark's ending. In fact, that's probably why some well-intentioned people, after the fact, added 12 additional verses to Mark's ending. It's because people have wondered, like I have wondered, why doesn't Mark go ahead and finish the story? They've wondered, where is the rest of the story? Where is the rest of that gospel of first importance? What does Mark tell us about Jesus' death? What does he tell us about Jesus' burial? Why does he tell us about Jesus being raised and then just stop? Stop without telling about Jesus appearing to Peter and about Jesus appearing to the apostles and about Jesus appearing to numerous others. What does Mark have us peer over the shoulders of Mary and Mary and Salome into an empty tomb? Why does he have us hear the words that Jesus has risen? Why does he have us watch trembling and bewildered Mary and Mary and Salome flee from the tomb? Why does Mark end with an empty tomb and then not talk about the proof of the resurrection? Why does he end with an empty tomb and then not line up the eyewitnesses to the living, breathing Jesus? Isn't that confusing? Isn't that perplexing? Isn't that even bewildering? Or maybe not. Maybe Mark's way is exactly the right way to end the story. Maybe leaving the story without a true ending is exactly right because the good news of Jesus isn't over. There's no end to the story. Maybe Mark got it exactly right for us. Maybe got it exactly right for us today because we need to be reminded that the good news of Jesus is a story that is still being written. The good news of Jesus' resurrection is a story that is still being written. The good news of Jesus' resurrection is a story that's still being written in the lives of you. It's still being written in the lives of me. The good news of Jesus' resurrection is still being written in the lives of those of us who came here today to affirm that Jesus isn't in the tomb. It's being written in the lives of those of us who came here today to affirm that Jesus has risen indeed. I want you to know that my heart is very full today. It's very full knowing that we are here together as fellow believers in the resurrected Christ. That we're here today affirming the reality of the empty tomb and affirming the reality of Jesus' resurrection. That makes my heart very full. But I also want you to know that my heart today is very burdened. It's very burdened today because of all the people in our community, all of our neighbors who don't on this day or on any day 
affirm the reality of the empty tomb. Who don't on this day or any day affirm the reality of Jesus' resurrection. My heart is burdened because so many of our neighbors just don't find Jesus' resurrection believable. Just don't find it relevant. And I'm convinced that if the story of Jesus' resurrection is going to be believable, is going to be relevant to our neighbors, I'm convinced that that's going to be true. Mark's ending to the story must be just the beginning. Just the beginning of stories that are still being written. So listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. See, I'm convinced that our neighbors around us aren't going to be convinced about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They aren't going to be convinced about the resurrection of Jesus Christ just because of witnesses from 2,000 years ago. Jesus did leave the tomb empty. Jesus did appear to Peter. Jesus did appear to the apostles. Jesus did appear to many others. And he did appear to Paul. And it's so important for us to believe that. And it's so important for us to teach that. But I'm here to tell you that isn't enough. Our our neighbors need those witnesses from 2,000 years ago. But our neighbors won't be here with us next Easter They won't be with us here next Easter affirming the reality of the empty tomb and affirming the reality of the resurrected Christ if they don't have additional witnesses. If they don't have witnesses to Jesus' resurrection testifying to them now. See, we all have to carry the burden of knowing that for our neighbors, it doesn't matter if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true If they don't see that it's true in us. If they don't see that it's true in our lives. If they can't see the proof of the resurrection in the lives of those who claim to follow the resurrected Christ. If they can't see the proof of the resurrection in your life and in my life. See, to proclaim the reality of the resurrected Christ to the world around us, we must finish Mark's gospel, and we must finish it in the way that we live our lives. See, it's time that we all became preachers. Every one of us, it's time we became preachers. It's time for all of us to preach the gospel of first importance that we read about that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We must preach that Jesus died and he died for our sins. We must preach that Jesus was buried. We must preach that Jesus was raised on the third day. We must preach that the resurrected Jesus appeared to the apostles and appeared to many others. We must preach that the tomb is still empty and that Jesus is still alive. And we must preach that with our words, but we also must preach that by showing that Jesus is living in us. He's living and active in us. So we must preach the gospel of first importance by living the resurrection. How do we first show our neighbors that the tomb is still empty? How do we first show our neighbors that Jesus is risen? How do we first show our neighbors that Jesus is alive? 
Well, we show them that Jesus is alive by showing them that he is alive in us. We show them that Jesus is working by showing that he's working in us. We show that Jesus is alive by showing that Jesus is transforming us. And we show that Jesus is alive by showing that he is alive in the world. And that he's working in the world. And that he's transforming the world. Our neighbors will come to know the resurrected Christ when they see him alive and at work and transforming us. And alive and at work and transforming the world. See, we're writing Mark's story. And in this story, the very best evidence of the tomb, the very best evidence that the tomb is still empty isn't archaeological. And it isn't even historical. Now, the very best evidence that the tomb is still empty is very contemporary. And it's very personal. The very best evidence to our neighbors around us that the tomb is still empty is by showing that Jesus is living in you. And by showing that Jesus is living in me. For God so loved us that he made us alive with Christ. For God so loved us that he raised us up with Christ. For God so loved us that we have been created anew in Christ. We've been made alive. We've been raised up. We've been created anew to live a resurrected life. We've been made alive and we've been raised up and we've been created anew to preach the reality of the empty tomb and the reality of the resurrected Christ. To preach that reality by showing God's grace and kindness to the world around us. To preach that reality by doing good works in the world around us. To preach that reality by living a life that's worthy of the resurrected Jesus Christ. A completely humble and completely gentle life. A patient and loving life. A life where we live in unity and peace. A resurrected life. Let's pray together. Father, Jesus is risen. Father, help us to be people who live out that resurrection in our lives. Help us to be transformed by the reality that Jesus is alive. Jesus is active. Jesus is in our world and in our lives, and Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to take us home. But Father, help us to take that message to the world around us. Help us to proclaim through our words and through our lives that he is risen. He is risen indeed. It's in his name we pray, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So let me end by just saying, let's all leave here. Let's leave here in peace. But let's leave here to live the resurrection so that next year, Next year when we gather together on Easter Sunday, we'll be with our neighbors. They'll join us here and they too will affirm that he has risen.
He has risen indeed. Let's stand. Let's sing together. Stand.